I have no scheduled spaces still. So, okay. Don't know what I need to do to get this, to get the, the, what I do have is in the topics, the, so now in, we used to just say like technology would be a topic, but now you have to pick which subset of technology. Do you have, do you have a bad feeling about where this is going? Uh, Kind of. I mean, I feel like this is going to be, we're going to be immediately into crypto. Not only are we immediately into crypto, it is like of the 25 topics that you can have a space on, like Uh, 18 of them are different specific currency. uh, That's exciting. It's like, come on. I mean, the, 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 the spaces I've seen that have like the, like, you know, two, five, ten thousand people of them have all been crypto spaces. Um, and, and have you been to the profile tab in Twitter recently? No. <laughs> I should let it be a surprise. But the, there's some prompt that I swiftly clicked through that I think lets me use my NFTs as my yes. profile or something. Yes, okay. you can become you okay. can become a hexagon. Good. Good. Yeah, and if you this is good, you've basically been like off Twitter for the last like I don't know seventy two hours. No, I I'm just very selective and I, I block a lot of keywords. You're you're very good. That's I, I'm I'm impressed. You, you oh is this you know what I actually so okay point of principle but maybe a bad one. I don't block anybody. Maybe I should. I don't. I do including people who hate my guts and love to tweet about it. It's like, you think I would, leave, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I just don't do it. I, what I do, I have muted a very small number of people where it's like, I literally just can't take it anymore. And I went into my mutes. I have muted Mr. Peanut. <laughs> well, he does have a lot of ads, as I recall. I literally wouldn't know. And I am like, oh, I do remember just being like begging for mercy from Mr. Peanut. Like, I, Mr. Peanut, I cannot, like, we are past the point of actionability with respect to my peanut consumption. And I, we need to stop bombarding you with ads. I, I don't even know. Like, Mr. Does, do you get Mr. Peanut ads? Are those targeted? I don't know. No, I mean, I, I got to go look and see if I, I blocked or muted because, unlike you, I don't have a principle around. <laughs> Not blocking your mind. I, I don't know if it's a principle. I do feel that it is very lame when you have people that are celebrities that are using block lists to indicate the people they disagree with. I think that, that that's normal. But I say that as someone who's like on those block lists. So like I, I'm, me too. I, you know, I had this moment where I'm like, well, I guess Mark Andreessen yes. isn't on Twitter. It's like, no, well, no, he's on Twitter, you idiot. He just blocked you for reasons I have no idea. So I, he's blocked me as well, obviously. Um, and I do not know why he he's blocked me for so long. I don't know that it's even discoverable why he's blocked me. I don't know if we can even <laughs> figure it out. That's right. And I'm such a chicken, you know, because we were I, – I ended up pitching Andreessen on Oxide. Like in a one-on-one conversation, and I should have been like, "Hey, can I just ask you like a question? Like, why do you block me?" <laughs> like, like, you know, and I, I uh, do, do that after after you raise the money. Like, hey, funny story. Thanks for the money. Thanks for the money. Well, yeah, that that story didn't work out that way. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> th- th- thanks for cheering me on from the sidelines. Um, but can right. I ask you a question? <laughs> um. So how did you come across this this blog post? The hype thing was just kind of going around. And I do feel, and I like, obviously I don't want to spend 
any time on the Web3 brain fungus. But clearly, <laughs> the fact that I'm saying that is just... It, right. I, I feel like we are all collectively as technologists transfixed. And I felt like, Kelsey, I, I, you obviously, you, went, did you go back and re-listen to our predictions when you obviously must have that. I, I, I read through a bunch of them, but I did not listen. I, I listened back to it like the night after I recorded it, but not like, not since. I mean, Kelsey was so... That was so good. <laughs> that was oh, he's terrific. I, I, I yeah. mean, I was like everyone was great. Like the Tom was great. Laura was great. Laura was great. All the predictions were great. But but Kelsey on, I just thought it was really really interesting going back and re-listening to it. And the other thing that I just cannot get out of my brain that I thought was a really interesting comment, but one that we didn't dwell on, is where Stephen O'Grady uh, likened the the movement of Web three to the like, the commune movement of the seventies. <laughs> That is great. Yeah, and I just felt like, you know, where you had all this tumult of the 60s and, you know, the people kind of taking out those angst in, you know, becoming very agrarian and getting kind of on, getting, I mean, it's like, in many ways, like, it's the exact opposite, but it kind of represents mm-hmm. some of this. Anyway, so I think we are all collectively trying to reason about this thing because it's so different than anything that we have seen. And it just beca- different in that, the level of hype is so next level, and yet the people that dig have a lot of questions that aren't really being answered. I thought Kelsey did a great job of of answering those. I did follow Kelsey into a space talking about crypto. And it, have you been in any of these like super pro crypto spaces? Yes, but I, I, it, it like not for long, and. Uh, often I find them sort of almost unintelligible. Like there's a, there's a shorthand and a language in some of these that I find indecipherable. And it is, I agree with that, indecipherable. Um, and the indecipherable, and that's like not praise, just to be clear, indecipherable in, the, in a pejorative sense. But Kelsey was really trying to like ask some really good questions that are tough questions, mm-hmm. but he's asking in a really like friendly way. But they were uh, not being answered very well. And I'm like, I just cannot take this anymore. I gotta leave. And then I've got uh, Nahum, who's here, is uh, DMing me, being like, "That is the last time I follow you into a space." I'm like, "Look, I'm sorry." <laughs> I, 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 it, it, the, yeah, that was that was a mess. And then several, like maybe a couple of hours later, Nahum sent me a link to a space that Kelsey had started on. Like, I've changed my mind on cryptocurrency. I'm like, "Oh my god, what happened to Kelsey?" <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, and it's like when I laugh, last left Kelsey. He was like trying to make rational arguments. It was just being like, it just making no progress. And he, like something like collapsed in like the, the, the in the three hours it's like, or whatever. And so um, did you see the space, Adam? And I would, I would. No, no, I didn't. It was just a Rickroll. It was really great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, okay. it, 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 it was, it was, yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, oh, ah, sanity is restored. And yeah. So, um, yeah, th- this was going to be like uh, we're going to need to stage an intervention or something. Yeah, we're going to see, and I think that. So I feel that so this blog entry is like a, a kind of taxonomizing hype is something that I saw yesterday that had been kind of kicked around earlier, and I, I feel that this is again what a lot of us are trying to do of just trying to make sense of this thing and trying to systematize it. So I thought this was a really interesting. I, I mean, I thought this was an interesting way to think about it. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I really liked it when you kicked it over and, and obviously this, you know, it's sort of, unfortunately it starts, the graphically starts at, at, uh, the most severe, uh, <laughs> yeah. which it, um, so it didn't, it didn't kind of slow roll me into it, but 
as soon as I saw the term othering, I, I, I could not help but associate that with Web3 and crypto, right? The, this notion that, that not only will this lead us to utopia, not only <laughs> is this imbued with magical properties that, that make no sense, but to think otherwise is illogical. I, I'm going to regret. I, do you know, are you familiar with Roko's Basilisk? No. Oh no. I, I was I was afraid that was gonna be the answer because oh, no. so Roko's basketballist is the idea that the artificial general intelligence is coming. Mm. And that the first thing that it will do when it gets post singularity is it will simulate all of past humanity to determine who accelerated its arrival and who impeded it. And it will reward those that aided the, the, the AGI in its arrival. And it will punish those who did not. Makes right, sense. Exactly. Makes sense. So the, the uh, talk about like your, your othering. I mean, you do get to the point where like, okay, we are definitely talking about something. We, we are no longer in the realm of technology here. We're in, we're, we're theological. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We're talking about the rapture, but I think it is worth talking about like past. So, all right. I, I'm hoping that we can be done with Web3 for the moment. I know, I'm sorry that I, no, no, I think I think we got it out of our system at least for the moment. at least for the moment. I know, God, yeah. brain fungus. Um, but I wanted to go back through because obviously we we do see this a lot, and I like this way of kind of taxonomizing it, starting with certainly marketing claims and exaggerated returns at level one and level two, which we've seen a lot of. I feel utopian futures we've seen more than one, and then magical thinking. I can think of at least one example, but I'm going to be very curious if you've got other examples that, mm. that, that you're thinking of. You know, I would say as I've been, you know, as you texted, uh, DM me this earlier today and as I've been thinking about it, I, I am a little worried that this is like a massive troll of yourself. Like we're going to <laughs> be, be pulling up these things that you have ranted against for years. Um, like some sort of like, like super rant? <laughs> That's right. well no okay so actually then maybe we should start with this like let's start with not the things that did live up to the hype but the things that were hyped mm. and if anything underhyped you know what were the things that like people were enthusiastic about that have over delivered on that enthusiasm and again i've got a couple of those in mind maybe you've got a couple of those in mind too no i'd love to hear it I, well i'm for sure i think cloud computing is Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. And there were certainly people who believed at the time that cloud computing was being overhyped. And mm. I don't think it really was. I think it's been, it's, if anything, it is a much more profound impact on computing than we thought it would be. Yeah, I, I think that's a great one. Matt, I don't know if you were trying to get in there. Um, I mean, you know, just to start off with, like, are, are things okay out in San Francisco? No, like, are they no, putting no, 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 things are very like, bad. This is required for help. You know, like, yeah, no, yeah. It, <laughs> like, like, they, they, there are bitcoins falling from the sky. I, I, it's funny, it's funny you say that. In harmony on smart You know, Matt, I, I literally was in San Francisco uh, yesterday and drove by in a poster that promised a million in Bitcoin. I don't have the details, but I took a picture, but, um, I'll, and I'll, I'll send it around. It, 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 it like, is like, and, and if you drive right now through downtown San Francisco, it is just, just disconcertingly on brand. The billboards in with these are billboards that used to be 
on the 101 back in the day in Silicon Valley have all moved north and they're all in the epicenter of, of San Francisco. And there are, I don't know if half are crypto related, but a lot are crypto related. Yeah. Um, so on the underhyped, I think, uh, I think uh, arguably mobile was underhyped. Yeah. I was going to, I, I was wondering what you thought about kind of, uh, we talked about iPhone and our, and our, and your perhaps prescient iPhone <laughs> prediction from years ago. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think that kind of snuck up on us to a degree. I, mean, I think, so, I mean, certainly yeah. the, the, I mean, the, the fact that the fact that it is what it is now, I think nobody predicted or those who did predict it were dismissed as, as, uh, as overhyping. Uh, another one that maybe was like, not necessarily overhyped, maybe it was like adequately hyped Wi-Fi. Hmm. Do you remember you were the first person I knew who used Wi-Fi? Well, that's what I was going to say. I I feel like I I worshipped at the Wi-Fi altar almost instantaneously. Yes, you definitely did. And I remember you just being um, like, "This is like this is crack cocaine and stuff. This is amazing." Like, look, I knew by my hands they are all around my laptop. There is no wire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I got that first titanium uh, power book or whatever the fuck it was. And I was very, very excited about being able to sit outdoors and type. I don't know why that was so fascinating to me, but uh, it, was, it was everything. No, it was amazing. And I don't, know, I don't know why my brain conflates these two, but this was also about the same area, era in which you broke all your hands. <laughs> that, was, that was a little bit later. And it was only one hand that I broke. Actually, it was just one metacarpal, but yes. Are you sure you didn't break everything? I just remember you only being able to type with one finger from each hand. Is that not correct? It is. It, so <laughs> it's almost correct. So uh, I broke a uh, fourth metacarpal in my right hand. So my whole, my whole right hand, like there, I had three pins in, in my hand and I could basically type with one finger on that hand. And my left hand was fine. I, I would note we were building D-Trace at the time and you can type D-Trace entirely with your left mm, hand. That's right. It was originally called J-K-L-I-O. <laughs> that's right. But in, to accommodate me, we're like, what can we do? Only the left hand. Jaquia passed to change its name. Know, yeah, and I, I know you, uh, you you referred to it as robot hand because it looked like I was being assisted by a robot on like a pick and place machine on the right side. <laughs> a meat stack pick and place machine, world's worst but most entertaining pick and place machine. We, I did used to wa- like to watch you type. It was, it was. I mean, I, on the one hand, it was your personal. Yeah, pain. morbid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> eh, more. Like, I, I knew I was. I was ashamed for not being ashamed of watching yeah, you watching yeah. you type. But so I, 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 for no reason associated that with Wi-Fi and that the. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. All right. And I don't recall ever being like. I don't know if like, like I said was Wi-Fi hyped, but Wi-Fi was like a really big deal, and that was a really deep transition. Um, the, uh, okay. Where does Java land? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, it, it, it certainly felt crazy overhyped at the time. Crazy, crazy over like right once run anywhere, uh, you know, swing UIs were somehow going to not be the ugliest thing ever, but going to be pervasive and fine. Um, and I mean, I think we got into level three on Java, and at least Java on Silicon is arguably level four. Yes, yes. Where I, I mean, right, right. Once run anywhere has kind of one, and UIs that don't look like the native host system have also one with Electron. 
So it was kind of like right idea, wrong implement, implementation. Well, and I think that this is what kind of I, I ask about I mean, Java, because it's like Java also like definitely succeeded in many different angles, and like I, you know, I think it. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, say what you will about Java, you can like it or hate it as a language, but it, it, the fact, I mean, it's got to be, uh, you know, in the top three or five of the most, you know, most lines of code per year or however you want to measure it. I mean, it, 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 it also runs in a really just unconscionably large number of yes. places, yeah. Yeah. Um, including somehow SIM cards right. all running Java. Um <laughs> So, but I think, but but the hype level of Java was was uh, exaggerated for sure, <laughs> and we're hitting some utopian futures. Um, but it also ultimately uh, lived up to at least some some aspects of it, if not maybe even many or most. Yeah, certainly some pieces. Of it. I was wondering what you thought about Windows NT. Ooh, you know something that we've talked about on the show. Uh, you know, read a lot about, but both of our sort of college, high school, early adulthood. Was was tainted with the the specter, the uh, at least a utopian future. Yeah, it's uh, I, of Windows. I was just going to point out that level three is supposed to be utopian features, futures, not dystopian futures. Um, <laughs> I, like, I don't even think like Microsoft was pre- pretending that it was a utopian future. Microsoft is just like, no, our dystopia is inevitable. I, I, I bestowed. Um, <laughs> That's right. Just we we all need to come to terms with it. Like it's gonna our terrible future is gonna win. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it was like hype versus dread. Honestly, I mean, I, the, the, people are just kind of acceptance hmm. um, of the inevitability of, of it, the yeah. inevitability of it. Um, so I get a, a couple of storage related ones to ask you. Ddupe. Mm. Where does ddupe deduplication? Where does that come out in all this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so how? I mean, that feels more like an exaggerated returns. I think. I th- right. I think so too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because I think it was pretty mildly hyped, and I feel like kind of was a busted flush right now. Like I I don't think like Ddupe doesn't really feel that real to to me right now. Do Do you actually know anybody who runs Ddupe anymore? I don't feel I know anyone who runs like a sand or math anymore. So yeah, I don't think I hang with the right kind of nerds anymore. Yeah. Um, it's like, it, it's clearly important for some things. Like I, I think that folks like if you're, if you're uh, hosting a bunch of windows VMs, that's still important. Oh. But like disc is cheap. Yeah, agreed. It, 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 you know, it's just so comically cheap yeah. that, like, right? I mean, a, a petabyte is like fifty thousand. Well, indeed, or maybe the kinds, yeah, right. the kinds of things that were most effective are are becoming diminishingly small parts of the what you store. That's right, and I also think that like, because deduplication kind of has at its premise that you have a lot of duplicated data, and it's like, well, but if out of curiosity, like, if I have smarter software systems. Or certainly in a world where a lot of that looks compressed or encrypted or looks more like a like signal or looks like images or looks like video. It's like, well, all that stuff is not really Or 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 in a world where you have smart snapshotting on right. your VMs and or and or data sets, like like ZFS and dedupe don't really make sense as a We're sorry. We actually put a uh, a dialogue box to to, protect, to 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 try to attempt people to to not actually enable it. That was a a classic example of something that was done a little too elegantly. 
That was done in in, in <laughs> insufficient number of lines of code. Yeah. I I also have to ask, since you guys were there, the ZFS copies attribute. Mm-hmm. In copies, Just, yeah. Mm, yes. Go on. Ask your question. <laughs> Just, I mean, I have many questions. Um, <laughs> Adam, do you recall the wager that we had in the office? No, I don't. Did I win? <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like not. Mm, maybe, maybe for purposes of this story, you know, I can't. No, no, no. Okay, so I. Well, then you're not going to be able to check me if I get this wrong. But so we had analytics coming from our storage product telling us which features were used when, hmm. and what we felt that. N copies, the co- setting copies to a so copies equals a number more than one creates effectively spurious copies of your metadata. I mean, my I, I don't feel I'm pitching it this very well, but I don't, well, I, I, I don't, there's a great way to pitch it. Yeah, so I think sounds about right. I yeah. think, I think it was of your data, right? Because N copies of because uh, we actually, as I recall, already implicitly had N copies equals two on some internal metadata. Yeah, I thought it was it, it was taking spurious copies purely of metadata, but it was copies above and beyond what you ever were doing with Razy Two or mirroring. Yes, yes, absolutely. It was it was it was above and beyond the act, the like replication of RAID or mirroring right. or whatever. And and we're already checksumming what's on the block, I, and it didn't really make sense. So the other thing that we had that didn't make sense. Um, was we had uh, IB as a, a target. And what were the two? ICER and what was the other IB? ICER and <laughs> ICER is I-S-E-R. And what was the yeah. other iSCSI? That, that, that is ICER stands for iSCSI extensions for RDMA. So literally two of the letters in, <laughs> in that acronym stand for other acronyms. And actually, because one of them is iSCSI, actually, this is the th- th- that letter expands twice. Yeah. Um, and then I cannot remember the other rival IB standard, but no, the the, the question that we had at SRP SRP time for the word is that is it's SRP and. We put, I think we had SRP in the product, if I recall correctly. We thought that both of these things were not well informed. And so the question that we had was, and we knew that zero customers had turned on either of these things. That zero customers that were connected to us, and that was basically all, the, all of our customers. We had, we had really good data on what our customers were doing, which is really interesting. Is this ringing a bell now, Adam? Yes, ringing a bell, but I don't remember. So we, if I recall correctly, Schrock and I had a bet about which one was going to be used first. And I can't remember who's on which side of the bet. And it doesn't hugely matter because both numbers went from (laughs) zero to one on the same day. (laughs) And we're like, has the same customer, are we being pranked by a single customer who is turning on both of these questionable features? And as it turns out, they were like just different customers that were turning, different single solitary customers that were turning on these features. Um, but yes, so no, I, I don't know. I don't think it was hyped because I don't think people really knew about it. But um, below Infiniban, where does that come out on the on on Infiniban was very hyped in its era. Yeah, 
I feel like my my lens on Infiniband was so tainted inside of Sun because it felt like such a big deal inside of Sun, and I don't really know how how big of a deal it was outside. I feel Tom. I feel it was it was pretty people. Intel was certainly making a big deal out of it. Yeah, it, it was overhyped. But, uh, <laughs> it's firmly entrenched in the HPC world. Firmly entrenched in the HPC world, which is kind of where it landed. And so it's hard to know whether it's like, well, did this thing like... I, I think it is fair to say... Well, I, I mean, it's also tough to pitch InfiniBand and RDMA if your architecture is microservices, right? If your architecture is giant shared memory compute, InfiniBand starts making much more sense. But if, if everyone's throwing REST APIs at each other with reckless abandon, InfiniBand doesn't really do much of anything for you. It doesn't. And then I, yeah. I, I, would, I would add to that, it's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work, a lot of yak shaving to set this thing up. Um, and that the uh, people who don't value their labor, which is to say national labs, seem to have a stronger affinity to InfiniBand than commercial customers who actually like, listen, we have a job to do. We're actually just trying to get this thing to kind of do, do stuff for us. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I for, put it in the category of a system area network where all the endpoints have to be very homogenous for anything to make sense. Eight. Well, and also, I mean, for a big enterprise network, you assume that you have heterogeneous machines continuously being upgraded. The machines may be diverse. They're definitely running diverse workloads. If you're building a supercomputer and every node is identical and you care about being able to treat this thing as one giant shared memory machine so your software people don't like completely have their heads catch fire because TCP is not reliable. Um, or it, it, Those yeah. are the conditions in which it makes sense. Those were not the conditions under which it was. It, it definitely was at the level one or level two at least of of hype i would say i don't think i don't think infiniband ever rose to utopian futures but i definitely think it had marketing claims that exaggerated returns for sure well it, it, for for another intel technology Ooh, yes uh, which one are you, which one on my list are you picking i i know i know i know i know i i, I was wondering if you could guess but i'm gonna go first with opting th th 3d cross yeah, opting, yeah, yes opting. nice yeah where, where where do you think that reached because i feel like it it, it it kind of uh, blew a DUI on the uh, on the high oh scale. absolutely <laughs> definitely yes when, no it, it it definitely was at a level where it should not have been driving for sure it was at a hype level where it should have yeah. been the designated driver yeah no I think it was getting I mean up there um uh, certainly up to utopian futures I'm not sure quite to magical thinking but I Optane and it, it is. you know it's kind of a sad saga to watch unfold because it was so heady. And then every time you kind of ask for an update for it, it was pretty clear that it was just not not fulfilling the, the it, certainly not fulfilling uh, it the great ambitions of Intel with respect to and and we don't even know like how it actually works. Intel refuses to say that this is phase change memory, even though it clearly is. Well, and for the longest time, they couldn't make it. Yes, right. Like it, it was not available in any I'm... kind of reasonable quantity. I mean, if you look at the pricing today, I'm pretty sure they still can't make it. And if you look at the performance, I believe what everybody thinks they're doing is they're running a DRAM cache in front of an SSD, and they've just built a really nice integrated controller that sits in a DIM slot. Well, and it is interesting how they started off being like, we are going to be faster than DRAM and persistent. It's like, okay, great, that's exciting. 
It's like we're going to sit between DRAM and Flash. Like we are now faster Flash. It's like wait a minute, I thought wait, what what just happened? It's like it's like except you know the economics don't economics make sense. Don't make so sense. as long as you have a problem that needs slightly faster SSD and you're willing to pay a 4x premium. But this actually does remind me something I did not have written down. Uh, the memristor and the so, machine from HP. Oh boy! I mean, that's got to be. I mean, we've all kind of done HP the dignity of just let's just forget that ever happened. What the hell happened to that thing? I mean, that was definitely. I mean, did you see the ad for that? Um, you know, yeah, I, I looked this up the other day because I started wondering whatever happened to this thing too. Um, apparently they, they just said, uh, you know, turns out building a big new architecture from scratch is kind of hard. So like, we're just going to send it to the printer division <laughs> and they might be able to use memristors. So like, yeah, there I, may, I, be, I, I think there they may hit be an level HP four enterprise copier out there somewhere with a memristor. Yeah. I think but, Tom, like, so you, you think it's level four on <laughs> the machine. I think it might be level four too. Yeah. Um, Adam, did, they, they were clearly deluding themselves in a big, big did way. Did you see the ad for the machine, Adam? Oh no! If you are wondering, like, wow, I don't know, like level four, like that's a magical thinking. That's a pretty outrageous claim. It's like, all right, well, just like you, that's fine. You sit through the ad, and then you tell me that they're only in like exaggerated returns or marketing claims. It's a, it, they're all wearing like Star Trek costumes, a hailing. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 bad. Uh, and I think the even the memristor is you got to kind of put in. The kind of, I mean, the machine, I think, arises to magical thinking. The memristor is. Oh, that thing is just, I mean, that it's hard to determine the hype level of something that never actually existed. Because if it, if it's never existed, it is sort of by definition magical. Um, I also think that there, like, I, I find it very hard to hype rank things that never like actually ship. Like Optane, we can compare results against theory, but like when you defund the project before you ship your first unit, like it, it's just kind of like a one over zero. And <laughs> we're, right, we're Nan on the hype scale. Yeah, there needs to be a Nan over here, um, for level Nan. So, okay, that's an interesting point. Um, I do feel that like one of the things that you see a lot in these things that get way overhyped is not providing technical detail. Like I'm going to provide you the emotion of a revolution but not really the technical detail to support it not yet like it's coming or it's a secret or you have to sign an nda i feel like that's a common trend among these things that get like just okay i mean case in point there has got to be the results of the recent trial right i, I mean like like i feel like you're talking about I, it, so you know what i am actually not talking i i mean obviously theranos for sure yes, <laughs> yes. but actually what i have in mind is something that i think absolutely hit level four and that's the segue that's a really interesting one because because you're right that, that, that there was like this brief feeling that of ubiquity a, a and of not well so do you remember okay yes. hang on full the segue is a level oh four. god okay are you like don't take this the wrong way but where were you in 2000? I was not in San Francisco by any stretch of okay, the imagination. So no, 
So like, I feel like I feel like you guys just have to like. No, 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 no. This is not a San Francisco thing. This is not a San Francisco thing. This is like. So this is an this is a mesmerizing story. There is a great, and we'll link to it. There's a great podcast uh, called Dakota Ring. Dakota Ring has got an episode on who killed the Segway. This is part of an article about the uh, that talking about the Segway. No, the so what happened on the Segway is Segway is invented by Dean Kamen, who's amazing, a really interesting technologist. Also, a couple screws loose. I, I don't, I don't think that's. I'm not saying that pejoratively, but it's got some wild ideas. Um, Dean Kamen has this idea for what what becomes the Segway, but also is paranoid that it is going to be taken by someone else. So they have absolute secrecy. And what they do is they signed a, 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 a someone was writing a book about the Segway and they were pitching this book proposal, but they would not give any details about what it actually was. And then they, that book proposal got leaked and there was a very brief period of time. This is not a Silicon Valley thing. This is like the whole country went cuckoo for what is this thing? This is like any, I think they'll like put it in modern terms. This is like, I don't know, maybe Elon Musk or I don't know what, what would be the example of where someone today would be like, I've got an idea and you've got Steve. I remember Steve Jobs saying that this is uh, more important than the bicycle. Uh, I believe it, uh, um, it was Jeff Bezos saying, or maybe it was, it was Bob Metcalf saying it was going to be bigger than the internet. So like, Matt, this is not just like an inside the 101 kind of thing. This was, this went loco. And then there, and there's a great moment, which I had actually read about, but not heard until listening to this podcast where uh, Diane Sawyer, so they go to announce this thing on like t- the Today program or whatever on ABC. And they do this unveiling and it's the segue. And Diane Sawyer, who they really should have briefed on what it was before it because she could not. She's like, is that it? Like, that's not it. That's that. <laughs> that's that no, like, she's literally like, that's not what we're waiting for. Like, bring out the thing that we're that the entire nation is waiting for. So no, I'm not making this up. I know I sound like I, I know I sound like a, this sounds like a vivid dream, but this actually happened. Okay, Brian. In terms of other, I think magical thinking, maybe utopian, utopian future. I was thinking back to to my childhood, and and tell me if this rings a bell, because there was a period in like the early '90s when like we thought that maglev trains were yes. going to be everywhere, and that like power was going to be free. And all of this came, I think, because of these either false or falsified conclusions about cold fusion yeah. in, like, 1989, I believe. Yes. I, I don't know how and, much – that's the Utah group, the cold fusion group. Um, the uh, And I don't know how much of that, that – but th- there's definitely a lot of enthusiasm. And there still is a lot of enthusiasm around nuclear fusion. Um, but yes, it was definitely fee for pitch. I feel the seventies and eighties. I mean, other folks can, can kind of chime in here, but yeah, infinite free power was definitely something we were going to have. That's right. And then, and then, uh, you know, the magical thinking surrounding that and like all of the things that it would enable that it you know, never could. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cold, cold, cold fusion was a specific hype thing for a few years. 
but you know, just turned out to be bad science, I think. But but every time there's some energy breakthrough, you get this utopia cycle. Hmm. Yeah, when I think it's it it's kind of interesting because you know, Adam, I'm I know you read the Codebreaker recently, um, and I'm I'm reading it now. Interesting book. Certainly, the underlying science is super interesting of of CRISPR. Um, I kind of feel like the Human Genome Project is a little bit in the overhyped category. I mean, I would love a I love a, 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 a molecular biologist weighed on that, but it seems like that's a, that got a bit overhyped. Yeah, certainly from from the Codebreaker book, it, it seems like it was a huge expense, a lot of hype, uh, cer- certainly exaggerated returns in that I don't think it turned out to be particularly useful or perhaps some of the technology that spun out of it was useful, but the, you know, concretely, it, it was, you know, quickly deprecated, that data set. It, it, and I think that also it highlights, the Human Genome Project highlights something that happens in this kind of level three of utopian futures, where people begin to think, oh, with this technology, I can do this. And something that, like, clearly the technology cannot do. Like, and people thought that the, that the Human Genome Project would allow us to do all sorts of things. That's like, no, 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 we're not, all, all we are doing is disassembling all of the instructions of the program. We have no idea how the program works, and that's an exaggeration, obviously. But there's, there's a lot that we don't, just by sequencing all the nucleotide-based pairs does not mean that we've actually cracked the code on all this stuff. But people were clearly, like, drawing that inference. And it's kind of our responsibility as technologists to kind of, real people back in at that moment and it can be tough actually when i mean adam surely you have been with someone talking about something that dtrace can do that it cannot in fact do you mean no i mean they're yeah, saying I, I think probably probably both <laughs> Like, did I push that right. Well, that that depends if you are merely in level two, uh, exaggerated claims. That would be you, or level three. That's them. But I mean, have you, you yeah. have been around people who are like saying, "Oh, I, I can do this with this," and you're like, "You can't actually." Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, a- a- absolutely. You hear technology pushed into areas where it's being misapplied, or or people are drawing the wrong inferences. That, that one of the questions I had was, "How can we tell?" When we're part of yeah. this hype cycle and magical thinking, you know, when you're, you know, if I'm in my, if I've got my 3000 pers- person space where I am <laughs> talking about, you know, HODL and, and how it's going to the moon, uh, how can I hear myself there? And, 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 and how can we identify, like, what are the shibboleths of, of these hype cycles and, and identify? Yeah. How do you know you're in one? Sorry, Todd, go ahead. I didn't even try to get in here. We're, we're we're talking about several different types of hype cycles here, right? I mean, like you're talking about technology hype cycles and also the Human Genome Project. I guess on on your comments on the Human Genome Project, I would point out that's that's funded science, right? So, like, yeah, sure, it 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 just maps the human genome, but that was pretty novel at the time. And a lot of these things, these other things you're talking about, wouldn't be here without that project. And I guess, I, I mean, to some extent, they have to hype it to get it funded by Congress, right? Yeah, this so is a good point. Do, yeah, no, this is a good point. This is a good point. If you, if you don't do that, it never yeah. happens. And, and none of this happens, That's right. right? And, like, and, so, so that is part of the hype cycle. Yeah, no, I, and, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. And I'll, 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 I'll throw a too. second <laughs> counterpoint in there, right? Um, Human Genome Project itself did not deliver anywhere near what it promised. But it turns out gene sequencing is kind of useful. Totally. 
it, 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 and Todd, you're making a very good point about the th- that there's a degree to which you have to point people to a distant future to get them excited about the sacrifices they need to make in the present. Am I phrasing that? I'm trying to phrase that in the, the most charitable possible way. Yeah, and, and you have to keep the, I mean, you, you have to motivate Congress to the point where they allocate enough money for now. So they keep allocating money over time. Because if you told them the full cost of the thing that you're proposing, they would never fund it. Right. And, and it is a very delicate balance. Like, I mean, I, don't, I work at a laboratory where we are working on fusion and we've had some gains recently and we've had some hype cycles in the past that didn't turn out that great. And I mean, it's still going lower key than it was in the past. And I think there's, there could be some big gains. I don't think they will be as big as, you know, what, what it was hyped initially, but I think it'll be pretty cool. So, oh, it's a Todd, tell me about that. That's really that's interesting. Wait, Thorium's not going to save us all? <laughs> that's right. but, but but so tell me about that because I think that I, I one thing I I think you do see is for people that survive one of these big hype booms and busts, they are much more sensitive about not making exaggerated claims. Is that true where you are in terms of the fusion space? Uh, I think it. Yeah, I mean there was. So uh, for people who don't know, I work at Lawrence Livermore. We have NIF, the biggest laser. In, in the world, it's the size of three football fields. It has 192 beams. It fires at something the size of a BB and implodes it. Um, it and it's a little piece of deuterium. Um, there have been different, I mean, NIF has been going since what, the late 90s or something. Um, and, and like I said, you know, they've had to keep the budget going. Um, they finally got ignition this year. It was, you know, less dramatic than, than we thought it was going to be. I mean, basically what that means is they, they got energy out of the capsule more it, more than what they put in with the lasers. Not more than what they put in with the whole facility, but there was actually fusion burn in the middle of the thing and energy came out, which is cool. That's very um, cool, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and that's a big deal because now it's in a controlled environment. They can experiment with it. More things can happen. Um, I, I think there was definitely like, you know, when I first started the lab maybe 13 years ago, um, there was a lot of hype around... NIF for energy um, and, and like the life program, if people ever heard about that, where, you know, they were going to build reactors out of this thing. There were reactor designs that came out of it and stuff like that. There was sort of a timeline. There was a deadline for ignition. Everybody was hyping that um, when, shortly after the machine came online. Didn't hit that. Um, and then after that, I think, you know, there, there was sort of a real negative reaction and kind of a backlash um, to a lot of the hype that was coming around, out around energy. And basically what happened is that the focus of the machine, um, it sort of has three purposes. One is sort of astrophysics research. One is energy and the other is weapons research. Um, it got pulled back into weapons research after that. And the interesting oh. thing about that is that that focus actually helped because those are the people who know how to make fusion happen. Because oh. there's one place where it does work. <laughs> yeah, right. right. So, one place where we actually have demonstrated it. Yeah, right. Right. And so I think, you know, ultimately that was helpful, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, I don't know. Could, I don't know how to evaluate all of that. I mean, I think it was certainly out of control at some point or another, but on the other hand, did it get funding? Yeah. Did it keep the thing going? Did, did it help? I, I think ultimately it'll be a valuable thing and it's a lot less expensive than some other things that we do. So I, I don't know. I think ultimately you, you have to sort of take it on balance. Like we, we face the same thing with supercomputers. Yeah, I mean, people people complain about Linpack, 
was a benchmark all the time. And it's totally valid. Relapse don't look like Limpack. They don't just do flops all the time. Um, on the other hand, Limpack boils down to one number that you can tell to Congress and you can compare to China <laughs> and Russia. Right. And you can say, our number is smaller than theirs. Therefore, we need more money. Right. And that helps keep things funded, right? So like, there's, there's a huge balance there that has to be struck. So I, you know, I, I can see both sides of it. Well, sure. totally. And I, you know, it is this challenge to really sell people on a vision for the future, get them to endure with you when it's stumbling, and at the same time, not succumb to getting things overhyped. It's like, it's a really hard balance to, to strike. And I think that like, I don't know that fusion ever, I think that f there was a time when fusion felt inevitable to me anyway, as a you know, it's a kid, moron kid. It felt like there. It just felt like the progress of things. Adam, you're talking about like maglev trades. It felt like that was going to be the the what progress would yield. And then there was a period of time where it's like, okay, actually, maybe that's never going to happen. Um, but it, now it feels like, well, if it could happen, it would be an Todd, I imagine this is the the, the 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 tenor at the lab that, like, boy, if this could happen, this would be humanity changing. But it's really hard. I, th I think every generation goes through a cycle of fusion utopia. I mean, I think I've seen about three of them now. And Tom, do, are you using fusion utopia as a metaphor there, or do you mean actual fusion utopia? Actual, actual fusion <laughs> utopia. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, so you asked about signs that something's getting hyped? Yeah. I think it's usually a bad sign when people start, you know, naming their companies after the hype cycle so some like blockchain mm. iced tea that's a bad sign mm, so i'm yes. curious what all you think about say the rust programming language in a company that may or may not be named for it oh Ooh. that would that would just that, that would just disgust me honestly that would be so ridiculously pandering that, that, pandering absolutely Sorry. that company would be doomed <laughs> I, I i find that question like nauseating i can't even let alone the answer i i uh, just to jump on that kind of hype cycle oh, oh my god how ridiculous no absolutely yeah, no this is this is fair uh i would like to believe that we are but a tip of the hat <laughs> to, um i actually well actually rust is kind of interesting so you would say there I, are no rust utopians there are no well so i actually i actually don't think that there are so this is going to be okay i'm gonna like maybe i will am going to be proving myself to be a case study of how you don't realize when you're inside of a hype cycle but I feel that Rust is actually very boots on ground. And the reason that I've actually been surprised at how just how good Rust has been for just how many different kinds of jobs. And part of the reason for that is that Rust is very reverential of history. So there are a lot of things that it, it has learned from the things that have come before it. And I feel in a lot of these things that have failed, they haven't learned from the things that came before it. And, you know, Adam, to your kind of your question, I feel like when things are not looking at what came before it to really understand them, I mean, there's a, you don't want to be like incarcerated by the past, but you also like when you're totally oblivious of it, it is problematic. And I felt like we've seen this in a couple of different times where people have been absolutely oblivious and then they just repeat the same mistakes. So, and I don't see, I mean, I do not think that Rust is overhyped for whatever it's worth. Silence. <laughs> I'm with you. I was just trying to think about, you know, is that is that what we would say if we were part of the hype cycle, if we right. were part of the problem? And certainly like you go your if you go to the Rust blog or the Rust language guide or any of these things, they won't tell you 
it's the right answer for all problems for all people. Although, you know, plenty of its adherents will. So, uh, you know, ju just because the main, uh, although you, you go to the Web3 Foundation website, which I did for the first time today. Oh, you will, okay. you, 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 oh sorry. I just wasted like six hours of your life now. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 there is a, a certain humility there. Right. I mean, the, the company naming phenomenon is mostly to take advantage of less sophisticated investors, right? Whereas uh, there would be an argument to be made that you had trouble getting money from sophisticated investors. So, like, I don't know if the oxide naming scheme really was a ploy uh, to get, I, get money, I, you know? I think we can say with absolute confidence that there are I, that it was not done to get uh, investor I, our investors. I don't think really uh, certainly not our institutional investors. Or, 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 or how about this? It was if it was successful, it was only mildly so. <laughs> That's right. That's and, right, Brian. I, I, you know, I had another question about um, about a hype cycle that you are part of, and I'm, uh -oh. I'm just going to give a little bit of history. Because so this is about DTrace and DTrace obviously achieved, you know, I'm very proud of what we did with DTrace. But back back to when I joined Sun in 2001, what I heard from you know I think you were underway by the point I you know building actually building DTrace. But what I heard was that DTrace first existed as pages in yours and Mike's notebook for like like at least a few years. And that there was a, a, a little bit of a hype cycle, at least in the Starless Kernel group, where problems oh, would come yes. up yes. and say, oh, well, you know, D-Trace is going to solve that. Yes. So, so that what, is true. What, what level do you think it, it achieved? Like, was it to the point of, <laughs> of othering, you know, uh, you know d debuggers that, oh, that might I, have existed? I, I, I like the fact that you're giving me the choices you're giving me are level five. Magical thinking or level othering. five or a different kind of level. Five. I mean, level five or level four. Like, what, what, what do you think you were at personally? Well, uh, and, and because because even though I, I mean, I think at least it, some, if not all, of the claims were eventually backed up. I think there was, it, you know, it's kind of a meme at the time. Although we didn't have memes back then, we just no, had no, you no, know, we, stories we, we, told we, on our grandfather's knee. Yeah, exactly. We weren't on our belt. <laughs> I, uh, no, you're you're absolutely right, and we and I think actually, but you know, this goes to kind of to a part of Todd's point too that like. You, I think the difference is like we never misrepresented that we had not yet written a single one, <laughs> <laughs> but we no, we de it was definitely magical thinking. Um, certainly utopian, no question, quite arguably magical thinking. Was it othering? Hmm, I hear what you're saying there. I feel like this is a little bit of an intervention, maybe. Maybe like like did did Mike go and kill other projects? <laughs> no, well, um, not boy. possible. Yeah, geez. Uh, <laughs> This is the most aggressive and annoying form of hype. Hmm. Notably, the time of arrival is less important at this level, simply that the technology will arrive at some point in the future. I got to say, like reading that paragraph, like that does feel awfully on the nose. I know that we, well, I mean, because ultimately we were insufferable about it. In, in particular, uh, a colleague, a senior colleague was working on a problem and was complaining about not being able to debug it. And I did helpfully volunteer. I'm like, D-Trace will actually, does actually solve. I actually said Dtrace does solve that problem for you. Use the present tense, which is ridiculous. And he is he. This is uh, Tim Marsland, who is not necessarily prone to blowups, but definitely blew up at me um, in his very dignified English way, telling me that I needed to go write Dtrace. That's all. <laughs> so um, 
I, I yeah, think. seems fair. Seems, it seems though like it was, and the, and the use of the present tense does kind of put you in in some, some of the <laughs> upper echelons. Upper echelons. I think we can definitely see we we have left behind level two and probably level three. We are definitely it is a level four versus level five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm. No, that's that's a good point. That's no, a good no, no, point. No. I, I don't know if it's a good one, but it, you know, it's self-contained at least. At least we weren't telling you know too many people outside of the uh, of the reservation. Well, I do, and I think that that's it. I think that you've got to like the, the challenge and the balance is you've got to make clear that like no, we haven't done actually any of this. Like this is all something I think is possible, and I do think that like things really, I the I mean, because another like big one in a, a big big bust is nanotechnology. Um, and, you know, Aaron, you were using your by by your metric of like companies named. With, I mean, there were definitely plenty of companies that had to rename themselves because nanotech was such a big bust. And are you Adam, did you like the Carrick Drexler stuff? Did you, in, no, in the no, I, I, I think I think this one completely washed over me. Oh, my God. This was. And so the idea was and this goes back to a Feynman kind of quip that we could build robots that would build smaller robots. This is kind of like a Vingian singularity for small robots. <laughs> and the idea then is that we would build these, these nano machines, these molecular scale machines. And then the kind of the pitch, especially made to, to generals and admirals was that it would be weaponized. And because a, and the kind of the big proponent of this KR Drexler was famous for saying, infamous for saying that a cow is just a machine that turns grass into steak. So we can like make a machine that turns you into gray goo. Gray goo was the, have you ever heard of the term gray goo? This is yes. like, this, yes. okay, yeah, right. So the, the, like we, we're going to build a machine that's going to turn you into gray goo. And it's like, Okay, which, of course, you know, everyone, the military gets very excited about this, like turning everyone into Grey Goo apparently is what they want to go do. But it does seem like, okay, this seems plausible. And I remember reading the book Nanotechnology by Karen Drexler. And I got like, man, I got like three quarters through the book before I realized, like, wait a minute, none of this is real. This is all just like stuff that maybe we could do. And that was not featured very prominently on the tin, I would say. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about nanobots is nobody ever mentioned where you would hide the software inside of them. <laughs> right. Like, Where's the firmware? Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like, well, uh, yeah, firmware, we'll figure it out. Firmware, we'll figure it out. And <laughs> how do I firmware update this kill bot? <laughs> I, I, quickly. My right leg is gray goo and my left leg is going fast. Yeah, no, I... There, and there were lots of practical problems, as it turns out. And that was, you know, Todd, that was an example of, you know, trying to use hype to, to get funding and interest. And it definitely succeeded on, 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 by that metric. But by not representing where it was properly, it allowed people to get way ahead of themselves. And then it was such a deep bust that that was, I don't know where it is now. I guess people just haven't heard of it now. But that was a term that you literally could not use. I and mean, that became a scarlet letter. I mean, um, nanotech is still somewhat around. They've been able to do some interesting things. It just turns out you can't build robots with it. You can't build robots with it. Um, I would say expert systems is another one. Of the the kind of the AI winter of the 80s, the expert systems were going to be, were going to save us all. 
Um, and th that people one... got really into microcomputers, and we'll see whether that Microsoft company actually goes anywhere. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Well, exactly. Like oh, plenty of the stuff actually like lives up to it. Um, the I did have a couple of others that I that I want to make sure that I get I get out there. Actually, I was went back and read uh, first round the the VC company pulled their uh, their founders asking their founders what they thought the most overhyped uh, domains were, most overhyped sectors were, and they started doing this in 2015. Um, the most overhyped sectors in 2015 included cryptocurrency, ironically enough. Um, AR, which I think AR VR, which I think is definitely one of those things that's been, I, I, I don't know, we'll have to talk about that one separately. I don't know how you kind of chalk that one up because there's a lot of, a lot that's real there and a lot that's not yet where people think it's going. And then the other one, and Adam, this is one I wanted to bounce off you because I don't think I remember this chat bots. Yeah. I, I think chat bots were like weirdly huge. I mean, still are something, but yeah, my last company. There was this, there, like there. You know, I went to the um, the Slack conference. I mean, obviously, like they're going to be filled with with different vendors, but there were tons of different vendors, all who wanted to show up with their own, both uh, you know, ML based chatbot, natural language chatbot, and this is both for like chat ops, but also for when you like you know DM uh, Mr. Peanut and and tell them <laughs> about your allergic reaction or whatever it is you know like having having you know re replacing humans with with these chatbots yeah has anyone has anyone ever met a chatbot that they like I, I, there I, there's I, an alarmingly large number of companies that still think this is an okay way to interact with customers but is this like an but this is like a sector this is what i didn't realize this is like a i mean adam you were at like chatbot con Yes, I was at Baiman Chatbot Con, and <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I I like I agree, Matt, that it, it persists. But there was this like this summer of chatbots or whatever, where where it did feel like uh, this was going to be a much bigger thing. I, no, I don't know about you know I'm trying to to taxonomize like, like it. My 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 bigger objection is that in 2020 to 2022 they are still continuing to proliferate. But, like, and where are our chatbots? Like, our like, chatbots are we magical? They were promised, and they will not stop until they turn the entire internet into chatbot gray goo. Like, <laughs> and like, it seems to be contagious between electronics vendors. I just had no idea that this is like a sector. I mean, can you imagine? Like, do you get like the the the, the, the titans, uh, the chatbot titans together, like big <laughs> chatbot? It's like, I, you know, are you wondering why I called you on here? We, we, we'll get into other ang where there's nothing left on the internet except chatbots. Well, okay. So uh, Dan Olson who did have this great uh, two-hour video on uh, this kind of NFT takedown over the weekend. He did report uh, getting into discords where chatbots are trying to sell Bitcoin to other chatbots. Uh, so I do think that this is uh, the Vingian singularity is going to happen with chatbots, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, all right, so that was a sector. That, that is not the, the the founders from circa 2015 from first round are are not wrong. There are chatbot companies. And then what happened to the chatbot companies? Are they still around? I think that a lot of them are still around. I mean, they're like you know the powering the pop ups that like whenever you go to any web page, it's like, hey, I saw you've been on my web page for 30 milliseconds. Can I sell you something? Um, that like I, those are all powered by chatbots. Okay, I've got another one to ask you about, and this is prompted by Aaron talking about when companies name themselves after a trend. Serverless is serverless. Where's serverless in all this? 
Huh. That's interesting. Because clearly real. I mean, but also clearly in the exaggerated claims department, I would assume it's not utopian. I mean, you've got to say there's some utopian futures around serverless. I think that that's right. I mean, because, just because... I, I mean, I even almost wonder if it, it, it went to level four to magical thinking because there was this this snake oil of serverless as this panacea that like right. the you know the you know the problem with your microservices environment is like <laughs> too much state and somehow serverless will cure you of the need for state um and and of like notional scaling and and uh, so I, I i mean maybe i was hanging out with the wrong kind of nerds because i certainly was like i was very interested in Lambda and functions and and all the different flavors of this. Well, so um, there's definitely like there's a lot that's real there. It's just got it got over its skis. I think absolutely. I mean, and, and it's like we can't all be stateless services. Like at some <laughs> right. point, right. like you can't just pass the buck infinitely. Well, the rest are on the blockchain. <laughs> right. right. To just ask the chatbot. I mean, it's. I, I feel like that's it. Like, can we somehow like uh, combine the various hype cycles into like a supercell of uh, of and then name a company after it. And then name I, I a like company where after you're it. going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so then the other, just from drawing from a, a deeper past, when you were talking about Intel, I didn't know Intel's done a couple of these. I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if you were going to go Optane or, or Itanium. I think yeah, yeah. you got you got to put that one in the. It, I mean, and VOIW more generally. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to place exactly the time of the Optine hype cycle, and it, it's got to be sort of like very late 2000s, very early, I mean late uh, 90s, early 2000s. Is that right? On Itanium? Yeah. Yes. So the I would say Itanium, and I would say it reaches its peak with like the Monterey, and the, this is SCO and IBM and Intel, I guess, on their... Um, I would say 99 is going to be the peak, yeah. uh, peak IA64. And with it, this is where I've got that. I bought a, this is my, one of my most treasured possessions. My book on IA64 that has the graph of the adoption of IA64. And in 2020, it was going to be the late adopters in agriculture that were going to be adopting IA64. <laughs> well, they still have yet to adopt IA64 for their credit. So, I know. I had to, I, this, I'm looking I, 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 kind of, When I found this thing while moving, I kind of tweeted that out. I'm looking forward to the laggards in agriculture finally adopting IA64. Uh, um, FCOE. Yeah. That, I, fiber channel over Ethernet. I feel like yeah. that kind of, I mean, maybe we were just in a little like closet where people were, where this was getting hyped. But if you were in the right spot, I thought this was getting definitely hyped. Yeah. It, 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 it felt creating with it. But Cisco could have pushed it a lot further, but they just didn't want to. It also, did Tom, did you work in this? I thought FCOE just made no sense. Would, I, I, I just, why would I? It was a solution in search of a problem, it felt like. Well, okay. Mm. That, I feel, is also an interesting attribute of a lot of these things. Yeah. It's a solution in search. Sur- as I'm just looking down the list, we got a lot of solutions in search of problems. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one I was biggest into was a- ATM. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> It's definitely into the magical thinking, and uh, maybe even othering because there there were definitely definitely personal wars going on between ATM and non ATM world. 
It, there definitely was, right? And that red herring cover with Andy Becklesheim on the red herring cover of Death to ATM, I remember very vividly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I mean, obviously, like, you don't run that as a cover if there's not other ring going on, for sure. Hey, reg- regarding FCOE, do you remember a company that took the the success of FCOE and made, it was like SATA over Ethernet or something like that? It was like a... Yeah. Anyway, it was it was. I yes, that was, was ATA over, over ETA. That's A-O-E. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, which was, which made a certain amount of sense too. And, well, hey. and there was a, a SCSI over Ethernet from Singapore. But uh, the important thing about all these is, you know, it's an argument that you only need the one cable. You know, you, well, you need power, and then you need the cable if you talk to other things, and you don't need a fiber channel cable and ATA cables and serial ports and all this other stuff hanging off the back. I think that's important. It's all about and cabling it, in terms of the problem. Well, and, and like a lot of this stuff, it seems like was not wrong. It was just early, which I mean, if you're Wall yeah. Street, it's the same thing. But like NVMe over fabrics seems to be pretty legitimate at, at risk of being shot well, down by, you know. The, the other example is, is RDMA transiting from InfiniBand to Ethernet. So that that's a legitimate thing now, but uh, you know Cisco could have pushed FCOE, but you know they they had a F fiber channel switch business to protect, and they don't want to lose that. Yeah, and I think I mean no NVMe OF I think is is I think I think it's legit, Matt. I think you're you're in a safe space. There's like 10 yeah, okay, okay, good. You know, I mean, I I know that like oxide still doing direct attached ssds to your processors and i wasn't sure if i was getting shouted down by a mob for saying um, nvme over fabric but you know i mean direct attached nvme but yeah i mean it, and i think well so actually are where are smart necks and all of this are smart necks in the i i i have a i mean smart necks are legitimately extant gm but do you think that smart necks are succumbing to exaggerated claims at all um they're suffering from the fact that they're usually FPGA adjacent and therefore a real pain in the ass to program. Right, fair, um, okay. But like, if you are trying to do some hypervisor level functions like segmenting NVMe or VLANing, etc., and you're willing to put in a little bit of time on some generic code, like, I mean, Amazon got great returns out of them in the beginning just because they could arbitrage yes. the price between ARM and x86, right? Um, but like, I could see these being real to like real people and not just Amazon. Yeah, I think so too. No, um, I, I agree. Well, yeah. it, I, my, my theory is that it's a lot more real if you think of them as if you rename it to be front end processors, which yeah. it, it existed forever. Right. right. Like, I mean, uh, SSL offload is just probably the easiest one just because they do a lot of it. Right. Uh, and, uh, another I mean, one the from... internet started that way with a dedicated processor that was doing the network stuff and then handing it to the computer. Yes. I, I, and certainly that has been a cycle that I think we are absolutely going to repeat, especially as we get kind of post Moore's law here. Um, another one from uh, Adam, and I think I saw you even making reference to this online, but uh, Taligent and, <laughs> yeah. and Pink. Yeah. 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 I was, I was thinking about that one because this is another one from, from when I was a kid. Cause I was a, it was a huge Mac booster. Like I went to the conferences and like had Mac user magazines, which were like ran to 300 pages. And like I'd fill out the form to get like free swag from companies and stuff. And yeah, so like Apple 
you know, their their next generation OS. They they were building System Seven, but then System Eight, which they codenamed Pink or Copeland, was going to be like the the uh, you know preemptive multitasking, like you know, next generation operating system that was the answer to everything. Like it was the coming messiah. And you know that Taligent, the company that yes. that that Apple and IBM set up, is a portmanteau of talented and intelligent. <laughs> I'd forgotten that, but yes. Which I I feel is another like red flag. When we were talking about SmartNix, Tom, you were saying that if they maybe they should rename themselves. And I say this is someone who worked on SmartOS but did not name it. That uh, putting I think smart, intelligent, creative in your your name is probably as much of a red flag as putting the name of your technology in your name. Uh, so at least your company name. Exactly. It does demonstrate hubris. It definitely got Speaking of which, who would name a system that? God, <laughs> that's just galling. Um, yeah, I'd say. Um, I feel. Do you, I think we got to most of the ones on my list? Uh, well, oh, another one for you, Adam. As a, yeah. uh, I think uh, B. Yeah, that, that that was super well hyped. Uh, I don't. Where did it land in terms of the hype cycle? I don't know. Maybe a bit of a utopian future. Especially because all of Apple's previous efforts had yeah. failed, yeah, and so That's folks right. were actually getting desperate, and so it, it it felt like the future that that could not otherwise be delivered. Um, I say this as the owner of two books on B programming and like a stack that as like a sixteen of CDs that to install B that as a sixteen year old I like lifted from their booth or something. I don't know. I I, I apologize. Did you go with me to the B bankruptcy option? Were we there together? Yeah, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I got a mouse pad that was not part of a lot. And I know that you – I don't know if you still have those whiteboards. I uh, – well, the – oh, you know, I do not still have those whiteboards. So the the whiteboards, there were uh, – and I bought – kind of like – I mean, how many – I bought like 12 whiteboards for 10 bucks. It was a, it was a lot of whiteboards for not very much. And then do you recall that one of those whiteboards we could not erase? <laughs> That's right, because it had like their their it, B-Node architecture it, on it. it. It had like a third of the BOS VFIS architecture on it written in permanent marker. So you know that someone had like fucked up a Sharpie thinking it was a dry erase marker. And I felt like – I feel like I'm right there with you. I can, I can feel it all happening in front of me. So did I know how that one in? So when we moved, uh, we lived on Petro Hill. We were moving to North Valley. And Bridget is like, this whiteboard has got to go. I mean, it was a huge whiteboard that had a bunch of like stuff in part. I'm like, this is a historical art. Like, you can't just like, <laughs> the, you know, this is a an important historical artifact. She's like, yeah, so no, you donated no. it to the Computer History Museum? I well, no, I I feel I did one better actually. What I did is I wrote the saga of this whiteboard on the whiteboard. I explained the whole thing, the the, the bankruptcy auction. That it was from B. That here's this Beefus architect, one third of the Beefus architecture that comes free with this free whiteboard, and I just like put it up on the street on on Missouri there on in on Churro Hill, and you know, God bless San Francisco. Uh, you know, maybe 15 minutes later, you see a truck like slow down. <laughs> Guy gets out, reads the whole whiteboard very thoughtfully. It's like I can see him kind of like thinking to himself, like, and puts it in the truck and drives off. So I've got no idea what happened to the whiteboard, but I would like to believe that it's in a good home right now. I, um, or at I, least somebody is arguing to not throw that thing out wherever it is. That's right. It's being moved yet again. 
It's being moved yet again. Exactly. Yeah. When we were at that uh, bankruptcy auction, I had turned down an offer from B maybe like six months before we went to that auction. So I felt pretty smart. <laughs> That's right. You were not actually being auctioned off. And you remember that I got the, I talked about other prize possessions that I, um, I found a box that had an AT&T Hobbit manual in it and an exponential X7 4 manual in it. So I'm like, I will bid, like, this is what I'm here for. And I will bid, you know, how do I bid on this lot? And I'm thinking like, I'm immediately doing the calculus of like, how much am I willing to pay for this thing? And it's like a lot. And I find the auctioneers, I can't find the lot number on it. And the auctioneer looks at it and, just, and looks at me and says, just take it. <laughs> I was nice. like, wow, okay. So He's I, already been paid, not on commission. <laughs> clearly, not on com- clearly not on commission. I think he's just like, box of crap. I'm like, all right, well, I would have paid a lot more than that. That's fine. Yeah, I will definitely take it. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but so, yeah, B, I feel, got into, I think some of that utopian future is magical thinking, honestly. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. But. Yeah. At least utopian future. I mean, because they were in such a dystopia at the time and there was no way out. Yes. And I want to think of that this is one of these challenges. I mean, just going back to, to Todd's earlier point, is that like you got to be you do have to point people to a better future to get them excited to be involved in a nascent technology effort, to be to develop it, to fund it, to use it. Like you do have to like well, get them out of like the, the, the present. Thinking about it more, I think one of the key distinctions between three and four is interoperability with legacy systems. Hmm, like, interesting. Like you, you yeah. once you say, "Oh, I'm I'm Steve Jobs building the next machine, and it does not mount literally anything from anyone else anywhere that has ever been written." Um, like this is just flipping magic at this point. No, I think um, that, that's kind of the interesting way of looking at it because you think about like. The whole Web three thing, you're like, no, like, no, no, we don't need to interact with. Like, we are banks. We actually replace the financial system. It's like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, woof. We're definitely <laughs> goodbye, level four. Hello, level five. Yeah, but it's not necessarily the technology, you know, producers itself who who create that hype bubble. You know, I was thinking about our previous shows, and we talked a lot about Docker, mm. and like the Docker hype cycle mm. was out of control. Out of control, right? like. And uh, in terms of, you know, uh, venture money and so forth, both in Docker and anything in its ecosystem. And there, there was at least a utop- utopian future there, if not magical thinking. But I think a lot of it, at least initially, didn't come from Docker themselves. Or at least they, I mean, maybe I'm rewriting no, history. No, 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 I, think I, right. don't, th- I, think I right. don't think that they, they were not advocating it in the way that they're, they're, you know, disciples started advocating it. Well, so Docker is an interesting kind of use case because the, what actually happened, people were actually using it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, that's what was happening. It's like developers were downloading it and using it and it was useful. And so then like the magical thinking around Docker or the utopian future was much more around the business that they would build rather than the tech. Because I mean, containers are still very much with us, right? I don't mean containers that... Yeah, I, I, absolutely right. Right, the 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 notion is clearly there, and like there's a there's a real there there. So I, I, I mean, I think is, I have some is questions the utopian about... like it is the utopian future and all the ridiculous money that got thrown at Docker more just about the idea that for a while there was a very strong thought that you could make a lot of money 
off open source software somehow without an appreciable business plan. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and like that was more of a generic feature of the industry than a Docker specific, although there's certainly the elephant in the room. Um, are, wait, are, hold on. Are we, are, are we the elephant? Who's the elephant? Is Oxide the elephant again? I, I just feel like... <laughs> Um, I mean, last I checked, you're selling hardware, right? You, you yes. have serverless as Oxide? <laughs> right. Yeah, oh. that's right. We're going to pivot to serverless. Like, yeah. uh, what, what? Yeah, it's uh, for you, your stainless you, you, services. Okay, we, we are attaching them to weather balloons so you can run in the cloud. It's perfect. Exactly. Um, you know, I think, so, so Matt, that's an interesting point, is that the actual, the, the, the hype was not around Docker per se. It was caught up in a larger hype bubble around funding of open source projects effectively as VC funded businesses. Uh, and that definitely got it. When you think of these things as VC funded businesses, you get into a lot. Yes. You definitely get into uh, a lot yeah. of level three, level four. Yeah. The, the alchemy of converting GitHub stars into dollars. Yes. Uh, you know, that, that, that felt like, there was certainly some magical thinking there. <laughs> yes. I mean, especially on the basis that most people who are running open source software tend to be incredibly cheap. Oh, uh, I, I, and, <laughs> so I was actually talking to one of the VCs who invested in Docker. And I, I was saying, you know, one of the things I think is kind of interesting as a developer myself, that what I like to use are the technologies that I know are unmonetizable. Because I don't want to discover that we need to go pay royalties for some – I mean I'm not going to use proprietary software in part because we can't afford to have royalties at the base of our, our technology stack. A lot of developers are pretty similar. And so if – as an investor, if you are seeking out those things that are being used by developers, if that's your metric, it feels conceivable to me that you are gravitating to, to those things that are tautologically unmonetizable. But that's and, part yeah, of where the I hype mean, from Docker came from. There's a there is a belief in the industry that developers have no budget, but ops has large budgets. And Docker was like, great, we can make the developers fall in love with us, and then the ops guys actually pay for us. So so how did this VC take that, Brian? Uh, nervous laughter. <laughs> um, and then I was kind of like like kind of laughing along. And then I like, do you uh, do you think that could be true? I'm like, I definitely think that could be true. Yeah, I think it could but, be true, sure. Eric, to your point, I mean, I think they're looking for the Trojan horse, right? The These cheapskate developers take the thing that is free and easy, and then somehow you can use that to roll in and spring spring out with your salespeople. And, yes. and like, the only well, way that I can think of to be able to do that is to do something like Oracle does with VirtualBox and its extension pack, which is just like completely a trojan horse and also makes everyone hate the product once they find out about it. it it's not good like i mean dino db your first key value store is free <laughs> your second one is not well in some sense red hat screwed up the the industry by being successful so people think they can replicate that somehow which I mean, okay so red so, hat so, i mean red hat's core strength was showing up at a time when linux really freaking sucked and right. making it suck a little bit less. And right. disrupting proprietary Unix, right? Then there was a, it was x86 disrupting the risk vendors, and there's a lot that's going on there. I do feel that this is a, an important point, Tom, that you're making, because people looked to Red Hat as the model, 
And they, there's this kind of assumption that like, no, we like Red Hat did this, we can do this. And I do feel that this is one of those things you get at that level five stage where people start kind of weaponizing history. And it's like, no, no, like you're on the wrong side of this. And certainly, I mean, God, the number of times that that folks that are asking tough questions of what Web3 are being portrayed as like critics of the Internet. It's like, no, that is actually not what happened at all um but i think that it, there is this kind of idea that like no because this thing succeeded therefore that implies that all possible things can succeed it's like <laughs> no that is <laughs> that is not what it implies all right well, i think we got a, we got a good uh i think this has been a good good tour of hype um i want to go see I, the, what i'm wondering is who won the big mr peanut account for among the, the big chat bot I'm wondering, that, that's i want to go dm mr peanut apologize for, for muting him and see if i can figure out who's the <laughs> who that vendor is that lucky vendor <laughs> that vendor is um I'm, adam any i'm, any, disappointed. Any, I'm yes, disappointed we didn't touch on 5g <laughs> do you feel that oh, 5G... yeah, we got to come out there okay we'll, we'll, we'll end on 5g is 5g I feel like 5G has been a long time coming. I can't tell. If I, is 5G overhyped? Can someone... Oh, so... that, and, and it's the same damn playbook as 4G and 3G. And you know, it's basically, we need more bandwidth, so we're going to hype this to the moon. And uh, none of that makes any sense, but more bandwidth would be nice. Well, I mean, hang on. Some of this makes sense, right? Um, you can go and you can take Spectrum and you can divide it up more finely as opposed to the, the comically large chunks that LTE did. And so you can plausibly fit more people into the same amount of space. That part is true. Um, this is what they call 5G FR1, which is basically the low frequency bands of it, where you take 4G well, and... Well, like they're, if you're T-Mobile, it's a software update. The, the, right? technology, the technology is great. It's the, it's the hyping that's out of control. You know, I mean, what, it, what, what the end user gets is more bandwidth for cheaper, maybe someday. So, Tom, could you explain to me how the canceling of scheduled flights for five, the 5G rollout? Like, I, I feel like, is that real? I mean, is that like a... That's the, the FAA being a bunch of... Yeah, that, I mean, clearly this something. is like... Yeah, that's this the is, same, same thing as not being able to power on your phones on the plane. But they haven't proven decisively that it could cause could not cause harm and therefore they ban it right that just seems like a very weird eddy in this particular hype cycle yeah. on 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 5g all right well i think we'll we'll, we'll leave it on on 5g um uh, i don't know unless you got any uh, any parting thoughts nope that's um, that's all the hype i can stomach for one night. all the hype you can stomach i think it's been, this has been good it's been a good yeah. tour uh and i'm you gotta go watch that machine ad I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, no, that's, I'm, it's got it. I got a cued right after this. <laughs> All right.